God, we're grateful that you're here with us today. God, that as we live and as we breathe, Lord, that you are making us different. God, that is so true that your name is powerful. It is beautiful and it is wonderful, but above all else, it is powerful. Jesus, your name is a name that when it steps into the room or onto the scene, it changes things. God, what a blessing. What a blessing to know you and to be known by you. Lord, I pray that you would be present in the word today. We love you and we lift your name high. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. <clears throat> Again. <laughs> uh, announcements and preaching, and next thing you know, I'll be mopping the floors. Just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> I'll mop the carpets, and I'll, I'll vacuum the, the tile. <laughs> It'll be great. <laughs> okay, so this morning, I wanted to, to start by telling you guys a story from my life, my past. Um, when I was a kid, we went on a trip to Florida, and I, I'll be, I don't even know how old I was on this trip, okay? I just know, I was old enough to know that if my mom's hand was not securely in mine, I was in trouble. Like, I, there was, I could not face it. Um, in my early years, I was a pretty clingy kid. I was like, a, like I, I wanted to be around my mom all the time. Um, and we went to Florida, and we went swimming. And I don't know if you've ever tried to swim while holding somebody else's hand. It is a difficult endeavor. Uh, it doesn't work for very long, right? But my mom is a smart woman, okay? And so she was like, okay, well, this is not going to work because this kid is dragging me down, frankly, you know? So, <laughs> so she found a boogie board. And like a boogie board is like what you use if you don't surf um, and, or for little kids in my case. So it's like a shorter surfboard, right? So she found a boogie board and she put me on that. And then when we were in the water, I could be on the water with her. She could be swimming but I was still floating and alive and not dragging her down with me, you know? Um, but <laughs> that wasn't really good enough for me <laughs> because I was a very scared kid. Like, I was just like, not about this. Like, mom, yes, that's fine, you're there, but you're not touching me though. But, you, but like, your hand is not in my hand, mom. Like, you don't get it. I'm gonna die. <laughs> I'm gonna drown in this water because your hand is not in mine. Um, and so, you know, like, there would be times where I would kind of settle down on the boogie board and just, like, be okay in the water. Just, like, it's beautiful. It was in Florida. We found a place in Florida where the water was crystal clear. You could see down straight to the bottom, and I was, like, looking at the sand dollars, you know? And then there would be times of sheer panic where I would realize, oh, my gosh, she's, like, she's, like, two feet away from me. Like, I can't swim that far on my own. Like, I can't do this, you know? And then I would go back to, to being okay. Um, and it was in one of these times that I was okay, that I didn't realize what was happening. Uh, I was looking down at the sand dollars, and I swear to you, from my perspective, from my, my viewpoint, they looked huge. They looked like the biggest, like, if they were real currency, we would be rich, you know? They looked giant. And I was like, those are so cool. And I'm just looking down at them and floating um, much, or little to my knowledge, further and further away from the shore. Uh, and all of a sudden, I look up, and I can see my mom, uh, but she is very far away. She is, she's gone. <laughs> and I think, this is it. You know, in my tiny kid mind, I think, 
Well, pretty soon, that will be my currency because I will sink to the bottom. <laughs> There's no way I can swim that distance. I, I can't get to my mom. Like, sure, I'm floating for now, but what happens when the shark comes out of nowhere, you know? I can't do it. I'm too far gone. Right, and so I start screaming, and I start panicking. And how many of you are versed in, like, water culture, we'll call it, water safety? What's something that you don't do when you are, you know, drowning or any number of other, th floating, really, because that's what I was doing? you don't panic, uh, because the minute that you start to panic, you start to go down. Um, I had made my way off the boogie board at this point. I was hanging onto the edge, and boy, was that water coming over my eyes, and I thought, this is really is it. This is it. <laughs> my mom, I can see her, but she is too far. And, and I'm clinging to this boogie board, just losing my mind, and my mom just looks at me like, would you hush? And I'm like, mom, I'm dying! And she holds up her hand, and in her hand, <laughs> In her hand is the ankle bracelet that attaches to the boogie board. <laughs> um, and she starts to pull me in. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thank you, mom. <laughs> thank you. Because <laughs> in that moment, <laughs> I thought I was too far gone. And in that moment, I thought, I'm going to die. I'm going to die off the coast of Florida, which, you know, now as an adult, I realize it's like, not a great place to die, guys. Um, too many alligators and snakes and other things. Mm -mm. But she pulled me in. So in a moment, in a moment, my perspective changed from drowning to realizing that there was hope. From being too far gone to realizing I might just make it through this. <laughs> Reality is, I was probably like three years old, and that water was probably like just barely above my head if I were to stand, but it sure looked like a long way. And that's kind of how we are too, isn't it? Man, that water might be just barely above our heads, but it sure looks deep. And it sure looks intimidating when we can only see the head of the person we're supposed to be relying on. We're starting a new sermon series today and our sermon series is called Unconditional. And we're going to be walking through this, this idea that God's love for us is unconditional, even when, even when. And today, our sermon is, God's love for us is unconditional, even when we are too far gone. Even when we think we are past the point of no return, God's love for us is unconditional. And so, like Lindsay does for most of our other sermon series, um, I want to pray over this series. So if you'll, if you'll bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that, that your love is unconditional. That the only thing that separates me from your love is my choice. And Lord, I thank you for the will to choose you. God, I pray that throughout this series that you would remind us that no matter our situation, we are still loved by the Most High King. Father, that we have a room in your palace. Jesus, that you are making up a bed for us. That no matter our circumstance, even when we are too far gone, that you have not lost sight of us. That like my mom, you are ready to pull us back. Lord, I'm grateful for the time that we get to spend in these stories, uncovering the ways that you, Jesus, spoke life into the people around you.
that you spoke promise, that you spoke love. God, would you soften our hearts to your message? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are going to start with a story um, of a man that was too far gone, a man that for all intents and purposes seemed like he would never make it back. Um, a man who had not only lost sight of the shore and his mom, but had lost sight of the ankle bracelet as well. But first I want to ask you, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt too far gone? Unreachable? Untouchable? Like no matter the rescue efforts, it will never be enough because you're sinking. Yeah, I imagine that most of us have felt this way. I've felt this way. This is the kind of feeling where you roll over in bed and you don't feel like you know the person laying next to you. Or the kind of feeling that you get in a friendship when words are said that can never be unsaid. And the person that you trust, you no longer feel like you can. This is the kind of feeling that you get when you're losing your mind. And it just doesn't seem like any effort will ever pull you back to the surface. That is a scary feeling. And it's a painful feeling to be too far gone, to be unreachable. That's the state where people do some crazy things. That's a state where people hurt themselves, where people hurt others. The state of having no hope, being alone. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt too far gone? The story that we're gonna be in today is from Mark 5. And while we're turning there, I wanna just explain a little bit of context here. We're about to jump headfirst into a story where Jesus interacts with a man who is too far gone. But before this, you have to understand, just before this is the story of Jesus taking a nap in the bottom of a boat that was being thrown around by the wind and by the waves. And that's that story where where his disciples wake him up and they say, Jesus, we're going to die. Jesus, truly, we're too far gone this time. We will die. And he says, why are you upset? He says, you woke me from a perfectly good nap. I was fine. We were fine. We are going to be okay. And he just says, shh. And the wind and the waves stop. And at the sound of his voice, his disciples see firsthand the power that Jesus has. This is what happens immediately before this story. And so you have to know that in the backs of the minds of the disciples, that's what's playing in their mind. As they see this man who is too far gone, they see the wind and the waves be still at the sound of his voice. They see the power of the Lord displayed through the man of Christ. Mark 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, the same lake that exploded with wind and waves. This is the lake. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. 
No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is our main character. How sad. Preaching it to you now, tears are coming to my eyes. Because what a man without hope. Day and night he is screaming, and he is calling out for somebody to help him, but nobody will come near. And this story is found three different places in Scripture, all in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story. And they all tell it with a little bit of different context to each story. And we're taking our version from Mark, but in Matthew it says, nobody would come to this place because he was violent because he was terrifying. And this is a man reaching out for anybody, screaming in the night for anybody, and nobody will come. This is a man tormented. He is too far gone. Not even chains will work anymore. And that spirit in him must have been strong because to break chain, wow. This is a man too far gone. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure, this is, this is who Jesus is, right? Because I am sure that everybody knew not to take that route across the lake. I am confident that everybody knew, oh, you don't want to go that way. From the, from the top of the hill to the bottom of the lake, you can't take that way because that crazy man's there. I am confident that people knew not to bury their dead in that particular graveyard because that's where this man hung out. And where does Jesus land? On what shore? On what day? He lands on the shore where the man runs to meet him. And you can't tell me that with all of those stories circulating about this man who cannot be helped, that Jesus didn't know where he was landing. That Jesus didn't know that the wind and the waves were only but a taste of what was to come. You can't tell me that Jesus didn't know that if he landed on that shore, he would be met with a challenge. He did know that. Everybody knew that. There were stories about this man across the, across the whole hillside, I'm confident. But he still lands there. He still shows up on that day. Verse 6 says this, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Man, this is not a good day to be a pig farmer, is it? Holy smokes. <laughs> I can't even picture in my mind 2,000 pigs. 
Can you like just close your eyes for a second? Just trying to envision what 2,000 pigs must look like. I can't even imagine them in a slaughter yard. 2,000? 2,000 pigs. I can't even imagine 2,000 pigs, but what I most certainly cannot imagine is enough spirits residing in one man to fill 2,000 pigs. And what I cannot fathom is 2,000 pigs running down a hillside and committing mass suicide. Who has to clean that up? Honestly, it is not a good day to be a pig farmer. 2,000 pigs. And I can only imagine that these pigs who are so subject to this world, that they, when they ran and they commit mass suicide, can you think about how that man is still alive? This man was fighting for his life every single day. Every single day against spirits who tormented him, against demons who would not relent, against demons who easily overtook 2,000 pigs, all of those in one man. When I was researching for this sermon, I came across a quote that stopped me in my tracks because I think it conveys the level that this man was going under. Whatever our immediate reaction to this passage, I believe that we can recognize behind the dramatic details the disintegration of a human personality under the influence of the evil one and the reintegration of the same man's personhood when healed by Christ. Here is a man that was losing his identity to a process that was undermining the integrity of his humanity and leading to physical harm and psychic fragmentation. This is from Catholic friar Stephen Kostoff. Have you ever felt too far gone? Have you ever felt too far gone? See, this man had endured hardship beyond words. And we never get a clear answer as to how he ended up this way. But I will tell you something that we do know. Where there are demons, there is a human will involved. And so scripture is not clear about how he ended up with over 2,000 demons in his body. But it is clear that there was some kind of choice made. Maybe he made a deal with them. He said, you can live here if you give me this. Or maybe he made a vow to himself. I will never let this happen again. Boom. Maybe he dabbled in the occult. We don't know. But what we do know is that 2,000 demons had made their home in this man. That he was gasping for air living inside his own body. That there was no hope in sight that he could see. Have you ever felt too far gone? Not even reachable by the Lord. See, these demons knew Jesus' power probably better than anybody else standing around watching, including the disciples who had just seen Jesus quiet a storm with his words. They knew, and when they saw him, they ran and they knelt down at his feet. You know what's interesting is that this man who is too far gone may not have had any hope, but even the demons in him 
saw the power of Christ. And there's still more to this story. In fact, there's a lot more to this story. Uh, Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They were afraid. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus didn't let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This man's life took a 180 turn. He was hightailing it toward death. That is a fact. And these people who have heard this story, they rush down the hillside to see Jesus, and they find this man sitting and clothed and in his right mind. I think they were right to be a little terrified. Who is this Jesus who can calm a storm with nothing but his word? And who is this Jesus who can take a man who has been drowning for years maybe, sit him down and let him be in his right mind? Who is this? For so long this man had been out of his mind and completely unreachable. He truly had been too far gone. And I imagine that that peace in that moment where you see this man sitting with Jesus, I imagine that that peace was unnerving. Because this is a people who didn't know who Jesus was. Just to give you some of the geography, the history behind this story, these were Greek people. These were not Israelites looking and searching for a Messiah for something to believe in. These were people who thought they had it figured out. And what they did with a man who was suffering, who was in pain, who was being tortured by demons, was they cast him off to a place where no one would go. And we see that same thing happen in this story to Jesus. These people are terrified that Jesus has command over the demons, and they don't know what to do, And so they cast him off. And they say, please don't come closer. And I imagine that the people who were herding sheep, maybe cows, they were probably most terrified, right? Because how much livestock would this Jesus cost us? Um, But I think more than that, these people were afraid of the power that they saw. They were afraid that if this man came into my town, what will change in my life? If he can tame the waters and if he can bring back a man to life, what will happen in my life if he gets too close? And so they cast him away. And it seems really heartless of Jesus to leave this man on that shore, doesn't it? To leave this man on the shore where he had endured so much suffering, to not let him go with him, 
But Jesus already had a plan, right? Because these people who had already cast off this man, who had told Jesus go, they weren't going to listen to Jesus. They weren't going to let him into their towns, into their cities, into their lives. And Jesus knew that. But you know who they would let into their houses and their cities and their lives? One of their own. A man who had come back from the brink of death who had been saved, they would listen to him because he too was a Greek. He too was a person who knew their culture, who knew their customs. He was a person whose life was transformed and they would listen. And scholars say that without the testimony of this man, without this story happening, evangelism to the Greeks may have taken centuries longer. Decapolis, it means ten, ten cities. All around this graveyard where this man had been shoved aside stood ten cities waiting. And because of the testimony of one man, these ten cities found a Messiah they weren't looking for. They found Jesus, who they didn't want anything to do with. Because of the testimony of this one man. But I need you to know something about this story. And it may, it may hit a little bit hard. Remember how I told you you can find this story in three different places in scripture. In one of those places, there are two men. Not just one, but two. But after the healing of the one man, we never hear about the other man again. And we don't have an answer for that. Maybe his transformation wasn't as remarkable. Or maybe, and worse, he didn't want to let Jesus transform him. Maybe he couldn't see enough hope in Jesus to let him do what he needed to do. We never hear about that second man again. Whenever you meet Jesus, there is a choice. And our main character, this man, he made a choice. He stepped back off of that boat and he said, okay, Jesus, I will go and I will tell these 10 cities about all that you have done for me. I will proclaim the name of Jesus, but this other man, we don't hear that about. And maybe he was healed and maybe he never spoke about it again. Maybe he was embarrassed. Because remember how I told you where there are demons at work, there is a human will at work. Maybe he knew exactly how he found himself in that graveyard. Maybe he knew exactly the circumstances that put him there and he was embarrassed. And when Jesus came, he let him heal him, but he never spoke about it again because his pride was too big. Or maybe when Jesus landed on that shore, he ran. Maybe he ran from the power that he knew Christ had to save his life. Maybe he wasn't ready to walk away from that life. Whatever the circumstance, what a bitter end. What a sad thing. 
that he made enough of a choice that we don't hear about him anymore. Have you ever felt too far gone? You see, anger, the way that I see it, we have three choices. We have three choices after hearing this story. And the first is this. We can let it fall on deaf ears. We can turn and we can walk out of this church building and we can go home and we can never think about it again. Because there are so many stories in scripture and I don't want to hear about this one and I don't want to focus on this one. I don't want to hear about how 10 cities were saved because of the testimony of one person. I don't want that. And I really hope that that is not the choice that you make. But if you do, you have to know it is your choice to make. You can do that. It doesn't change this, though, that God's unconditional love will follow you forever. But if you never turn around and embrace it, you will remain the same. You will. Just as where there are demons at work, there's a human will at work. Where God is at work, there is a human will at work. You have that choice. You can walk away from this building and never think about this sermon again. Or the second thing, you can turn around and you can embrace the Lord. If you have ever felt too far gone, this is the story for you. Because this man's life was over. This man had no hope for a future. No hope. Until Jesus landed on that shore and he met He met the eyes of that man. And what Jesus saw when he looked at that man was not the 2,000 demons inside, but a man worth saving and a light worth reaching into the darkness to pull to the surface. And that's what Jesus sees when he sees you. And that is a hard truth to swallow because it means something. That Jesus can look me in the eyes and find me worthy enough to save. That even if I'm filled with 2,000 demons, Jesus can step onto the shore and change my life. But I have to turn around. And I have to let him. I can't run from that moment if I want my life to be different. And Anchor, I want to tell you something about me. Um, I am stubborn. (laughs) I am as hard-headed as they get. That is just who I have been my whole life. Um, And when I came to Jesus, I was screaming. When I came to Jesus, I was angry. There was no way that I would let Jesus into my life. I could not trust him. And as everybody around me at this youth camp was knelt down praying to the Lord, I knelt down too, and I told him all of the reasons I wanted nothing to do with him. I was screaming to the Lord all of the reasons that I couldn't trust him, all of the pain that I had endured that he had watched. I was screaming to the Lord all of the ways that he could not help me and I wouldn't let him. And I heard a voice say to me, it's okay to be afraid. And I opened my eyes because I heard it 
as clear as day, as if it was spoken directly into my ear. I heard that, it's okay to be afraid. And I looked around and everybody's eyes were closed and their heads were bowed and there was no one close enough to me. And so I closed my eyes and I said, okay. Because in that moment, what that meant is it's okay to be unsure at first. In that moment, what that meant was all you have to do is take the first step. What that meant was I love you enough to see past your anger. And I love you enough when you have made yourself too far gone to reach inside and to pull the light forward. My life has completely changed since that moment. I'm being ordained in a couple weeks. Can you believe that? But it's because I chose to turn around and to embrace the love of God. He did not leave me like that. But I had to make the choice. And if that's not you today, if you're not feeling too far gone, there's still a third option, and that's to share your testimony. Listen, guys, people listen to story. It is why there are so many movies, there are so many books, so many video games, people listen to stories. That's why when you meet an old friend in a grocery store that you think you're only going for a 15-minute trip, you end up spending hours talking with them because we listen to story. And without this man's story, the gospel in Greek wouldn't have spread like it did in Greece. Without this man's story, people's lives would not have been changed because they weren't ready for Jesus, but they were ready to accept this man. Hear me. There are people in your life who are not ready for Jesus, but they are ready to hear your story. They are ready for you to lean over, to take their hand, and to tell them about what the Lord has done in your life. And it's so easy to think, and I have done this before, so it is not a criticism, but it's so easy to sit in church and to think, well, it's my pastor's job. It's my pastor's job to share the story it's Lindsay's job, it's Valerie's job, it's Elizabeth and Kurt's job, but it's not. The Great Commission was for all of us, not just for those of us called to ministry. Share your story, because you have no idea the profound impact that it can have on a person's life. And I'm gonna invite the worship team back up. And while they're, while they're coming up, I just want you to sit and to think for a moment, where am I? Do I feel too far gone? And if you feel too far gone, you have two choices. You can walk away and never think about this again. Or you can turn around and you can embrace the Lord. And if that's not you, you have another option still share your story. If you don't know how to write your testimony, come see me afterward. That's something that I love to do. I love to help people do that. And if you think you have a story not worth sharing, you're wrong. You're wrong. 
because there are people in your life who are not ready for Jesus who are ready for you. If you'll bow your heads with me. God, you have delivered us from some messes. And I know that, looking out into this room, that there are some real messes in the room. God, that I am one of them. But Lord, that you have seen enough light in each of us to pull us out of the darkness. But God, there are people in the world who do not have hope. There are people in the world who do not see you. There are people in the world who speak Greek in a world where we speak your language. And God, those people are people that we know. They're people that we're friends with. They're people in our families. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to see what you have brought us through. That you would give us the strength to turn and to share that with the people who aren't ready for you yet, but who are ready for us to step into their lives. Jesus, I am floored by this story of a man who was so close to the end of his life, but who you saved. And I know that that's my story. And I know that that's the story of many people sitting in this room, Lord. That when we had no hope, when we were too far gone, your love did not forsake us. Lord, please give us the strength to turn around and to embrace you. In Jesus' name.